so yeah, good evening. I hope you've had a wonderful day. Lots of rain over the weekend. Uh, I'm, I'm really keen to go and just to go to the Kocha Dam and just stare at the water falling down. Uh, when I was a student, we went there as one of our as one of our trips when the when the dam was overflowing. I studied civil engineering right here down the road at uh, which was then PE Technicon at Mandela University. So a little bit about who will be sharing the message tonight. My name is Vince. I've been here, I don't know, a while. And um, my primary job in this world is to be a Christian <laughs> and a disciple of Jesus. And then right under that, I'm a husband. I want to show you my family. Here's a picture of my family. My beautiful, it's going to come up here sometime. I guess it is my family. Here's my beautiful wife. Her back is really uh, hurting for carrying all the looks in the family. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's, not, she's not here for me to compliment her. Uh, hopefully she'll listen to this at some other time. And then my oldest daughter on the right, Nova, uh, basically means superstar. And then on the left, my youngest daughter, Vida. Uh, so, so, and they're, so, they're so much fun. I just love them so much. So thank you that I could share with you this evening. I thought I'd just paint a picture of where I come from. That, that's, that's my home. That's where God sent me, primarily. He sent me to those three beautiful, beautiful people who all belong to him, and I get the privilege of walking with them for their earthly pilgrimage. Today, uh, when I was home after, after church, um, my eldest daughter, Nova, she woke up from a nap, and I was just sitting outside in the garden, and, she, and she, she was telling my wife and her sister, she's got an important meeting, and she's going to go, I, I'm the person she's meeting with, it's an important meeting, and when you have a child, you just play along with everything, you just make sure that whatever they do, you say yes, if, if it's imaginary play, and she, amen, yes, play along, so, so, she comes outside, and I said to her, hello, are you here for the job interview? And she says, yes. I said, what's your name? She says, my name's Mary. I said, well, I'm Jacob. And uh, I said, please have a seat. And I whispered to her, I said, remember in the interview, you must, you know, keep eye contact and have a good handshake. Okay, yes. So we broke character, and then we're back. I said, so why, would, why do you want to come work and be a dentist here? So, and then she just kept on playing. So we had this meeting, and... I'll never forget it, actually, because it's one of the first times I could show my daughter how to be in an interview. And it's such a great privilege. And I, I felt like Michael actually shared with me, I shared the story. And I, wanted to th I feel like tonight, I, I think God just wants to have a little meeting with us. And the meeting he wants to have with us is, is on this series we're going to embark on in just the next three Sundays called They Say. It's about the advice the world's giving us. And the advice that's out there in a world full of all sorts of advice, how do we know what's good advice, what's bad advice? How do we know what to, what to spit out and what to receive? How do we test advice? How do we know we're making a good decision? I want us to crack the code to good advice and bad advice in the series. How do you know if you're making a biblical decision or not? Because some of the decisions we make are not plainly written down in the Bible. Should I be an accountant? Should I be a teacher? Should I? How do we know? Our hearts get in the way, though, and we're left uncertain about our choices along the way. So I want to give us some measures we can follow when we're stuck for wisdom. Have you ever been stuck for wisdom? I don't know what to do. Have you ever said, I don't know what to do? 
Am I alone here? Thank the Lord. Okay. Well, I've got, we're going to show a few clips along the series. And what we want to do is we want to ask you to send us some of the advice that you are uncertain if it's good, like on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube shorts, or even just a little meme. It's like a bit of advice. And you're like, is this good advice? Or is this bad advice? Should I take this advice? And we're going to put it on the screen and say, well, let's test it. And tonight, I'm going to give you the test, how to test if something is good advice or bad advice. So I want... Oh, Someone sent me this clip. The first one is the ladies, please, Curtis. Let's have a look. Oh, hey, Paulette, what's up? Paulette, it's Sister Paulette. Huh? Sister, you forgot my title. Your title? Yes, we are sisters in Christ. Don't be disrespectful. Oh, no, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. It's just I call my actual sisters like... My bad. Good. How you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? You good? Good. I am blessed and highly favored of the Lord. When you really know Christ, you are never just good. Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't see you at Bible study last night. Oh, I'm going tonight instead. I was so tired yesterday. You know how it is. No, I don't. You don't get physically tired? Mm-mm. It is in Christ. I find rest. Okay. I'm just going to get some water. You thirsty? Thirsty? I have drunken from the water that Jesus gives. I will never thirst again. Okay, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I know some people like that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's giving us some advice, right? It's it's like don't be that guy. That's some advice, right? That's uh, you know. Let's just be real. Some days I'm like I'm tired, and it's okay. Okay. Sometimes some days it's not good. Some days, you know, it's not all going well. So some of this advice, like well, we can we can filter something good from it, right? So don't don't be overbearing. Don't be that guy. I wanted us to have a look at another clip quickly, and, and I, I wonder what your response is going to be at the end. It's very short, and I wonder if there's going to be a response. Let's have a look at the second clip there, Curtis. Still, one of my favorite quotes till this day is, God will put you back together right in front of the people who broke you. Yeah. God will put you back together. Right, in, that thing has, I don't know, hundreds of thousands or millions of views right in front of the people who broke you. <laughs> right? Ooh. I don't want to critique the guy or the thing. We, we, we have a look at these things and they sort of become part of our diet. We don't only read Bible anymore. In the interview with, with my daughter this afternoon, I said, so what do you do for hobbies? She said, oh, I like reading the Bible. I said, that's an excellent I read it every day, she says. So, <laughs> so yeah, she challenged me on that one because, you know, I'm not always blessed and highly favored of the Lord, like that lady said. And some days I'm like, oh, it's just a uh, uh, Bible. <laughs> we're normal, okay? I'm normal. So, yeah, I, I guess we're going to look at that statement. I think it's an easy statement to remember, right? God will put you back together right in front of the people who broke you. Let's, let's just remember that phrase when we're doing the test just now. For is that good advice or bad? Is that good wisdom? Uh, or is it not good wisdom? Here's one more clip. Let's have a look at the guy with the stubble. If you've hidden the person that you are for a very, very long time, which I had, you, you don't know what you're looking for when you're looking inside of yourself. You don't know what your opinion is or what your truth is, right? So... Because it's biased? Yeah, because you've layered it. There's tons and... there's decades of lies and persona and performance and insecurity and anxiety and compensation all on top of something deep down that's supposed to be you. So if you want to work out who you are, you need to dig through all of that before you can get to anything that feels solid. 
I have an ingrown nail on this finger. <sighs> it's so painful, right? Have you ever had an ingrown nail on a finger? I don't know. It's, it's my body has taken like 37 and a half years to betray me. And all of a sudden it's doing it. I, just, I soaked it in like a Savlon thing all day. Humans, like this guy's advice, and like what's happening here, humans are not designed to focus inwards. It only leads to self-obsession and self-hate. We as believers are designed to focus outward. And in doing so, we find all the answers for the questions we ask inwardly. So can you see how some advice would be like, oh, he sounds sincere, right? Dig down, navel gaze, look at yourself, look at yourself. We're saying, look at Christ and look at others. Because the more you focus, I think you're going to find a lot of stuff in there. But it's like the believer is cleansed and set free when we stop looking at self and behold the Savior. Because we become what we look at. How can you become something if you just don't know what you're looking at? I want to look at the person of Jesus Christ for the rest of my days and hope I could maybe be a drop in the ocean compared to his nature. Amen? So they say, they say diamonds are a girl's best friends or chocolates or I don't know. You know, sometimes they say things and, and we select the advice we take. Ooh, this is nice advice. I'd like this advice and I agree with this advice. I'll take it. And any advice that I don't like and it's not in line with, you know, line, aligning with my energy. <laughs> is that a thing people are still saying? Tongo's laughing. He's young. It's not aligning with my energy. You know, I reject that advice. Not aligning with my thing, my vibe. You know, we look for agreement for our own warped ideas sometimes. Hey? The world says, follow your heart. Align your energy with such and such and this and that. So the Old Testament, if you've read it at all, is something really disturbing that happens. Well, a lot of disturbing things happen. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> right? This one's beheaded and that one. Oh. Anyway, but there's something that happens that you pick up as a pattern. Everybody who is deceived by somebody else gets destroyed. So not only the person who's doing the deceiving gets destroyed for deceiving others, even those who are innocently deceived are destroyed. And it says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. You've read that? It's quite harsh, isn't it? So our deception could often lead to our destruction, to a life that is full of turmoil, and even more unanswerable questions. So our aim in this series is to give like a gold standard at the outset, show the clips, and ask, is this biblical? How do we know? And I wanted to just start off by saying the gospel is not a truth among many other truths. It is the truth, and it sets a question mark against any or other all statements. That's what the believer says, right? When we are at our wit's end for an answer, the Holy Spirit can give an answer. But how can he give an answer if we are so well supplied with all sorts of answers of our own? 
we need to empty ourselves of some of this advice that we're taking and get into the word of God and declutter some of the stuff so we can hear God's voice. Listen to what happens in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 38, this prophet comes to the king, to King Zedekiah, and he says, listen, this is what the Lord says, these cities and all these things um, uh, will be given into the hands of the army of the king of Babylon. They will capture it, right? He says, so, you know, this is what's gonna happen. But then in verse 15 of chapter 38, it says what's on the screen. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, if I tell you this advice, you will not certainly put me to death. Will you not certainly put me to death? Besides, if I give you advice, you will not listen to me. <laughs> As, have you ever heard your dad say that maybe? <laughs> like, or some of your teacher. I'm gonna give you advice, but you're not gonna listen. It's, it's a very striking statement, isn't it? So, here's the start of our test of how we're going to test worldly wisdom. And we're going to go to, or, or any kind of wisdom. We're going to go to Romans 14. Now, this entire chapter of the book of Romans, like I said, like I said, let's suppose we're having a meeting tonight, okay? And God wants to, and I'm going to say a few things. If you're the note-taking type, these are going to help you to process decisions. In Romans chapter 14, Paul is talking about Things that some people do, like keep a Sabbath and do certain things, and some drink this and some eat that, and then some people judge those people for eating and drinking this, and other people judge people for not doing that. And then at the end of chapter 14, it says this, verse 22, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whatever his, what, sorry, but whoever has doubt is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Good test, right? Am I acting in faith in what I'm doing? So actually here, Paul also, as a bonus, gives us the definition of sin. It's whatever is not faith. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> it's like, I don't act in faith many times a day. <laughs> but let's go into Romans chapter 15. So that's the end of 14. And then 15 starts like this. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings or scruples of the weak and are not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So, when we need advice on sin and self-control, here is what we do. I wanted to take you to six quick-fire conclusions from Romans 14 and the start of 15, about how to know if something is even just right for you. Firstly, it is on there, I think, there are things that are not inherently sinful. Does that make sense? There are some things in this world and in our life that's not necessarily inherently sinful. Playing tennis. But, you know, it's not sinful. 
But number two, these things are still sinful to some people. So some things are not inherently sinful, like exercise, let's say. But it could be inherently sinful to some people if they obsess over it. And if they do it out of a compulsion to have approval from man, they're not acting in faith. Amen? Are you getting the example here? So this is about our conscience. Just because you see someone doing something doesn't make it okay for you. So there are some things that are still sinful to some people, but maybe not to you. It is not faith. If it's not faith, it is sin. Something clean or something good can become unclean because of your conscience making it clean or unclean. Thirdly, your conscience has the ability to make something sinful which is not sinful. Maybe you need protection against something, right? It could even be something healthy, something good for you. Someone else might not need that same protection in that same area as you. So don't make your rule that person's rule. What happened in the 90s, there was, I don't know if anyone is around for this book, it was called I, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Ever hear about it? Nobody? 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 Thank goodness. Did you hear about that? Okay, throw it away. Burn it. <laughs> it was written by a guy who I shall not name. Uh, so everybody was reading this book in the 90s about dating. And it had so many rules. Who you must ask, where you must go, where you must start, where you must stop, what you must do, what you must X, Y, and Z. And people ate this up. The Christians, oh, we loved that book. Um, I never read it. I, I don't typically like things that are popular at first, so I'm glad I didn't read it. Eventually, he revoked the book, and he said it's all nonsense, and he wished he'd never wrote, written it. He made lots of money. And he took it off the shelf. Because what was happening was, he was giving rules for him. And all the believers were going, ooh, this is also rules for me then. So they were looking at somebody who they thought was mature and said, because he does that, I should do that. But what was actually happening was, he was weak in that area and had to have many rules. And others looked at his rules and thought, those are good rules, we should all have them. But he needed protection in that area. You might not need protection in that area. You might need in another area. Is this making sense? Fourthly, the conscience cannot make something okay that is not okay. So there are some things that have, you know, that's totally not okay for everyone. So when you come across an issue of life, you're asking, is it wrong for me to X, Y, or Z? Describe an activity. Activity. <clears throat> the first person, the first question you should ask is, does it feel wrong? Well, that's what a lot of people say. So I asked this question to some people the other day, and they said, well, you know, if it feels right or wrong, then that's sort of an indication. But I wanted to let you know that that should be the third question the believers ask, not the first one. But your conscience can't, cannot make something okay that is not okay. So... Number five, it's telling us in Romans 14 and 15, oh, sorry, let me go back to number four. If you have a conscience that twists what is okay into something okay, something that's not okay into okay, something wrong, 
and your conscience twists it into becoming okay. You have something called a darkened conscience. And you need to be set free from that. And you know when you're doing it, you are saying, well, so-and-so does this, and they said it's okay. Or I've seen this, you're darkening your conscience. And you have to almost forcefully do it. Number five, don't violate your conscience. The principle of this, this fifth principle um, is not to violate your conscience. It's a reminder, don't violate your conscience. Like If it's wrong for you, don't violate that. Even if you see somebody else do it, who is mature or who is a good person, don't violate your conscience. As soon as you start to realize um, that you think something is wrong or you feel like it's wrong, and you go, actually, no. Uh, you know, it's okay, but still feel it's wrong. You know, you should keep your conscience, obey your conscience. Number six is consider unity. So there are a bunch of believers here in this scenario in Romans 14 and 15. Some weak, some mature. The weak were judging the mature. Hey, why do these guys get to drink and not go to Sabbath and not do all the things that we're doing? And the mature people were going, ha, look at these other weaklings still needing to go to the Sabbath and still needing to say what they can or can't drink. And there was a sense of disunity. And what Romans is telling us is that the mature person must adjust. He must adjust because this is not a family. The church is not a family, it's a body. It's something more unified even than a family. It's one body. So he's saying, mature parts, adjust. And it says to bear with their failings. It doesn't say share it. It says, okay, all your rules are not going to be my rules. It says bear with them. Bear with those people who have a few rules. And say, that's okay for you. We're going to bear with you as you go through them. We're going to pray with you as you go through them. As you struggle with this thing or that thing, with your self-control or your discipline, we're going to bear with you and pray with you. That is... That is what the mature should do. Amen? So, unity then is required for us even to bring praise to God. Look at how this sort of argument ends in Romans 15 verse 5. It says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see that unity leads to worship and thanksgiving? So we must adjust. The weak, don't look at some people who do things that you'd like to do but you can't do and say, I'm gonna do that. Don't darken your conscience. And for those of you who've been on the road for a while, don't look at the weak and go, you should do that, man. Throw that stuff away. Throw those rules away. And you should say, Come with, I'll come with you. I'll be with you. I'll pray for you. Amen? Now, in the middle of all this stuff is your heart. I love that, you know, Pastor Mark spoke about feelings last week, and this is, I'm just flowing from where you were, and I did a great job, and just really grateful for you and for your gift, Pastor Mark, in this church. So in the middle of all this stuff is your heart. You still feel things, Right? Vincent says, here are the six rules. I'm going to put everything through the filter now and see what happens. Disney teaches us, follow your heart. Parents often say, 
Listen to your heart, little Oh, your heart is so pure. My little angel. But as soon as they get a will of their own, you realize, whoa, I did not, I don't teach them that. <laughs> they come like this. When they defy you or say no, or when they shout at you as children, you go, when did I teach? Ah, they're born into sin. They come like this. <laughs> Standard. That's a feature. Rebellion. <laughs> you know, Disney says, follow your heart. <laughs> I can sound like many Disney characters, by the way. Like Mickey, oh, toodle, right? <laughs> or, like, or like Goofy, oh, <laughs> yuck. You know? Oh, gosh. Mickey, you know? Follow your heart, Nova. No. So now, like, my kids got to watch this stuff, right? But I got to teach them wisdom. If you don't have children, maybe some of you can have children, some of you have them here. You'll quickly figure out the truth here. Follow your heart. And you know, the child's heart's got other ideas sometimes. You got to train that thing. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, look how opposite this is to Disney. I'm not gunning Disney, sorry. We're not being filmed, so Disney won't hear this now. <laughs> Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It doesn't even stop at deceitful. It's like, the heart's deceitful above all things. And it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? Can you see the vast chasm between the advice and instruction of the world and the biblical standard. We, we must be careful. You know, Proverbs talks about the heart. Guard your heart. A heart at peace will give life to your body. A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. David writes in, in the Psalms, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He says also, I'll give thanks to you with my whole heart. And then Psalm 26, I think we've got it up. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and mind. Let's talk about David for a moment. There are some Psalms that I've read of David. And <laughs> I go, this guy is brave. In, in a few of the Psalms, he says, I call upon you, Lord. There, look at my heart. There is n there's no deceit in me. Lord, you've looked at my heart. There's no deceit in me. And then a few verses later, he says, kill my enemies, Lord. Like, what? How, would you ever go before God and say, Lord, there's no deceit in me. Kill my enemies. <laughs> now, firstly, we have no record of any of those enemies being killed from that prayer. Some enemies were killed. Some of David's men were killed. We don't know if God said, okay, cool, I'll go kill them now. But I actually, I looked at this for a long time and I thought, come before God and say, God, there's no deceit in me. And I prayed about this verse and especially when I was off for three months, I thought, what is, this? What is going on here? He's so obstinate in this, in this language. And what he meant was, Lord, come look here. I'm not trying to deceive you. I want my enemies to be killed. I'm not trying to deceive you here. I'm not hiding anything from you. I'm not being deceitful with you, God. I'm bringing it to you. Often, we have deceit going to God. We hide some things. 
And in that way, there was no deceit in David. He ran to God and showed him the black stuff in his heart. Look at this. I'm not hiding anything from you. Oh, we should have that boldness, shouldn't we? Then he's the same David who said, create in me a clean heart. It is God who creates the cleanness of our hearts, that our hearts be cleansed. I, I attempted for so many years to scrub my own heart clean, but the only thing that scrubs the heart clean is the wonderful grace and blood of Jesus Christ and accepting his mercy washing over me like a flood. I do not have the tools or the capability of cleaning up my own act and my own heart. Trust in Jesus. Your heart can be deceived and your heart can be deceptive. Your heart can be distracted and your heart can be divided. Your heart can have unbelief. Everyone who's had to contend with unbelief at some point in time, I want to advise you not to take your unbelief too seriously, okay? When you have doubts, relax. Your heart will doubt. It's deceptive. It is deceptive. I wanted to then give how we test our hearts. So we looked at how we test our conscience. Those are the first six, right? Okay, test your conscience. Don't violate it. Now I want to give three standards for testing our heart. The first standard is the law standard. The law standard goes like this. If you obey all these rules, like Israel had and all the commandments of God and all the rules you make for yourself, that's one standard. You can say, well, I've got a standard, some form of standard, and I'll obey all the rules in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, and the 613 laws of Moses. And if you can get that right... You fulfill the law standard. Well done. And you will get a prize from God if you do that. <laughs> but the law standard gets you from unrighteous to, so you're in debt, you're in the minus. <laughs> unrighteous. It only gets you to zero. It can't take you to righteousness. Because when you can fulfill all these rules, and all your own rules, you're simply no longer unrighteous, but not yet righteous. That was the problem with some of the laws of the Old Testament. All it did was wiped away unrighteousness, but not fulfill righteousness. So you can have your rules, but once you fulfill them, it'll just leave you at zero. Rules will not give you life. Have them by all means, but don't depend on them for life. The second standard is the unity standard. It's the Romans one we read about. Here is how a believer should make a decision. If it is in the word of God, however you read, it's a no-brainer. doesn't matter what you feel. It's in the word. Follow it. Amen? If it's not in the word, here's your next test then. Is it good for my neighbor? That's what Romans says, right? For the building up of one another. Is it good for others? And then the third line should be, how do I feel about it? Is it creating unity with me and others? How do I feel? So the world first says, how do you feel about it? Just go for that. But the believer says, is it in the word? And it doesn't matter how I feel about it. If it's in there, I'll follow that. The second rule 
is, is it good for the building up of my friends or my family? Will this thing build them up, encourage them? And the third one will be, are you led there? So the feeling comes last then. And then the third standard is the righteousness standard. This is the one we will focus on. The righteousness standard. See, when you do the law standard, you just get to zero. But what will be righteousness for us? Matthew 6.33 says the following. 6, verse 30 to 33 says, If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which have never even been seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm saying, or what I'm trying to do here, is to get you to relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what he may or what may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up. And when the time comes. Isn't that comforting? This is the message translation of Seek ye first, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So the righteousness standard sounds like this. Run to God. Run. Like David did. God, there's stuff happening in my heart. Run. Run to him. Run to him first. While I was on sabbatical, I was doing some prayer in a different town. I'd taken a time off. And I was really seeking God. And I said, God, like, I need to hear from you. And he says, Vince, it's like I had a sense of God just impressing on me. Come to me first, Vince. Is often what we do is we do not go to God first. We go to him last. God, my last resort, I hope you can help me. Before that, we go to a mate who seems wise. We go to Google. We go to our favorite YouTuber or Jordan Peterson. And we find out what has he got to say about this? And he said, just come to me first. And for those of you who go to him last, there's no condemnation for you. Go to him anyway. And from here on out, go there first. Run. Our hearts are sick. The righteousness standard is the only standard that is the antidote for a sick heart. Run to God with all you have. For every decision, for every choice, for every step, for every thought, run. Run to him. And the second part of the righteousness standard is rejoice. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. You may ask then, how, Vincent, how do I rejoice if I'm sad? That is because, my dear friend here, you have not traded your sorrows yet. Rejoicing comes from trading your sorrows. Stand up, and stretch out your hand to the Savior like the man with a withered hand in Mark 3. And when he stood up and just offered his sorrowful hand, the Savior met him and got healed. Isaiah 61 says that he gives the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Have you traded in your sorrows? 
for rejoicing. Rejoice in God's forgiveness, giving thanks for the privilege of prayer and worship, rejoicing in redemption and newness of life. Have you traded in your sorrows for that? Trade them in. This is the righteousness standard. Run and rejoice. I wanted to answer one last question, and that's this. I often hear young people saying, well, Vincent, I want to do this. And what's wrong with it? I want to, you know, do this or that. What's wrong with it? And I usually say, wrong question. <laughs> Hebrews 12.1 says the following, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily ensnares or entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The problem with asking, but what's wrong with it for a believer, is you're asking the wrong question. You should ask, does it help me run a race? Throw off these things that entangle and ensnare and embitter your heart. Does it help me run? And does it help me rejoice? That is the righteousness standard. And when you run to him, and rejoice in him. That is what we call a heart that is submitted and undivided. We have divided hearts sometimes. We don't know where we want to go. Run to God. Rejoice in him. Can you stand with me, please? Can you stand with me? I know tonight was, I was really, I was, I, I don't know if anybody feels hurt from, <laughs> from, from giving you some advice. Um, I hope it was helpful. But I wanted to spend time on this submitting of our hearts. Is that okay? Just a few more minutes. And how we can measure whether something is good advice or bad advice. I wanted us to bring our hearts before the Lord tonight. We're in this meeting. It's just us and the Lord. Just the lounge here. And I wanted to pray for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet. Lord, there is so much advice thrown our way, so much clutter, so many things that we, we don't know which path to take sometimes. Your word says that if we ask for advice, ask for wisdom, you will gladly give without ask, finding fault in us. But Father, sometimes our hearts are also far from you. Our hearts are not submitted to you. And just tonight, Lord, we want to take a moment and submit our hearts to you again for the decisions we need to make, for the forks in the road, for the relationships in our lives, which we don't know whether to keep going or to cut off, for the snares that entangle us, that slows us down. Father, we want to run and rejoice. So we bring you our hearts tonight, Lord, and submit them to you again. Oh, this is my desire to honor you, Lord. 
worship you. sharp evening Lord of just a meeting with you we bring our hearts to you again and we might live at your feet and we would run to you always and rejoice in your unfailing love for all of our days in Jesus powerful name we pray and give you glory Amen Amen thank you very much friends um, If you'd like to pray with somebody, please come to the front. We'd like to have a conversation, pray with you. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. We're out there for coffee. If you're visiting, please see us in the guest lounge at the back there. Cheerio.